Wonderful. Thank you, team. It's always wonderful, rich time of worship. Um, thank you. Appreciate you guys heaps. Aren't they good? Aren't they good? So get here early and they have to solve all the problems of things that don't work and all of that rest of the thankless things you do in the wee hours of church Sunday mornings so that we all may enjoy God's presence singing together. Um, and so don't take you guys or anyone for that matter for granted. It's uh, wonderful to be together as a family. If I haven't met you before, my name is Dave and uh, this is our first week back inside church together. Last week we are here for bacon and egg uh, rolls in the car park and that is always a treat. It's been um, uh, everyone's been loving it, apparently. I haven't had one person say, Dave, you know what? Getting together as a church in the car park to eat bacon and eggs and drink coffee together has been a really bad thing. Can we not do it anymore? Um, and so um, it may feature a little bit more as we go on through um, the year. I've found personally that it is expediated relationships in an environment like that that just doesn't happen in moments like this. Um, so no, we're not going to be doing that all of the time, um, but maybe once a month perhaps, um, we'll have bacon and eggs in the car park together um, by way of connecting and meeting new people and deepening our relationships because uh, that is part of a big part of uh, why we're here. I feel really unqualified to um, share this story or this illustration uh, with the Hunzikers in the room. However, I will proceed um, and it will all make sense in a moment. But as a family of six, it is no mean feat to pack a car for a two-week holiday, and I suspect that the Fullers may also know the struggle that it is in being a big family trying to squeeze a lot of things into a small car. And the reason I say this, the Hunzikers just did six months around Australia, but seven of them in a camper van, um, and so I am no authority. You should be preaching this um, this morning. But uh, we are at the point now uh, where to transport all of the humans and all of their clothes and all of the peripheral child-related necessities and all of the recreational get-up, we now need to take two cars on holidays, um, lest we got one of those pods, but no one, they're so uncool if you ask me. <laughs> and just in case you're thinking, well, clearly Dave and Elise are no good at packing the car, you have not met my wife. Um, I cannot beat her in Tetris. Uh, and, and, and it doesn't just relate to the, uh, the computer game, but Elise has this, I would almost call it a spiritual gift in being able to pack a car so neatly that there is no airspace left in the vehicle whatsoever, which is not wasted one bit on a family of six who have wide and broad recreational pursuits, often with equipment that is big. So on packing day for holidays, we tell the kids, all right, go and get all the stuff you want to take and put it by the car. And soon enough, there are four scooters, there are five bikes, there is Ronnie's bike seat, three skateboards, three surfboards, snorkeling and dive gear, plus all of the helmets, the pads, all of the wetsuits, not to mention the fishing gear, and don't get me started on that, but to begin with, a 75-litre tub from Bunnings, full to the brim of stuff that I'll probably never use, but I just have in case anyway, four fishing rods, nets, gaffs, lure bags, you name it, and that is before even the socks and the jocks are even considered. 
And we know that Lenina makes it really quite difficult to pack, right? It is cold one moment, as we've even had this morning. The sun's out one minute, then it's raining the next, and it's warm, and it's cold, so we've got to pack jumpers just in case it's cold, and swimmers because we'll be swimming. And so the thing just grows. The challenge isn't just in the essentials either. I mean, it happens in the supermarket with kids where the kids just happen to slip something extra in. You turn around in the back seat and there's Banjo's collection of dinosaurs. You're like, how did that get in? We didn't say that that was on the packing list. You know, the average fuel burn in our car would probably go from 13 litres of fuel per 100 kilometres to 20 litres per 100 kilometres because we've just got so much stuff in the car, so much extra weight that requires more energy to push. We would get to the point, and I don't know whether you've had this experience, where we just say to the kids and we look at each other and go, do we really need all of this? In my experience, life itself is not too dissimilar. In our lives, we have an accumulation of stuff that occupies the storage facilities of our hearts and of our minds and even of our bodies themselves. We carry within us a supply, uh, a cache, an internal wardrobe, if you like, in which hangs our successes, our regrets. In that wardrobe are the lessons that have been learnt over time. In there hang and are stored our failures, our offences that we carry the disappointments that we've experienced, the mistakes that we've made. But so too within us, also within these internal storage facilities of our hearts, minds and bodies, we hold our hopes and we hold our dreams and our goals and the things that we've been praying for and believing for and hanging on to hope that God will change this or that. We hold all of this stuff within us and perhaps even like the kids sneaking extra toys into the car or the chocolate into the trolley, there are things perhaps that you are hanging on to that were never meant to be there. Things that maybe along your journey people have slipped into your life that you are now carrying that was never yours to carry in the first place. Perhaps words that have been spoken to you, perhaps uh, attitudes that you have picked up from others that were never yours to carry in the first place. And when we're carrying too much, when we pack things into our life that we didn't need, when we don't leave behind the non-essentials, like a car, our fuel burn goes up. It takes a whole lot more energy to move the thing along. Our fuel burn becomes way too unsustainable and we can find ourselves running out of fuel well before we get to the place we thought or wanted we want to be. I mean, I know at times I find it hard to determine the helpful from the unhelpful. The useful things in my life from the redundant things in my life. You know, sometimes I find it hard to to sift uh, what served me well in the last season and what is going to serve me well in the next season. 
See, knowing what to take for the journey can be confusing, but also incredibly empowering as we look to the future in hope. And today and, and next week, we're continuing this series, Are You Ready? And I think there's a pretty thing up there on this. Are you ready? And there's two questions we're asking. One is, what do we need to take? Which I'll look at today. And next week, Jess Miko is going to answer the question, what do we need to leave behind? Two questions necessary to be asked at this juncture in the year. And so as we look at what we're going to take with us into this year, before I read the word, let us pray. Father, we thank you that your word is the enduring truth. Father, it is not just a book for Christians, but it is, Father, the story of life that has been told for millennia where you can be found, where you are found, where, Father, we see the revealed truth of your true nature come to light. And, Father, we pray as we open your word this morning together that we would see um, who you are in your son, Jesus. Father, we would know him more fully and follow him with our lives more nearly this morning. So, Father, may you be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're opening to Mark chapter 6, verse 7 this morning. If you've got your phone, you can pull it out. Don't look at Facebook. Open the Bible app. And uh, if you've got the old papyrus version of the Bible, good on you. Keeping it old school. Uh, pull it out, Mark chapter 6. And I'm just going to grab a quick swig of water before we do. I'll let you give you some time to get there. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. That's what's entitled, I read from the ESV version. Mark 6, verse 7. That's big six, little seven. And he called the 12 and he began to send them out. So already there is a journey happening here. And as Elsa would say, it is into the unknown. Um, these 12 are being sent on something that they aren't quite sure on what they're being sent to, what is ahead of them, and uh, thus the applicability, I believe, in the word this morning for us, because who knows where we're going this year, um, and so we find ourselves encouraged in the word, and he sends them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, uh, but no bread. Uh, you can't take a bag, no money in their belts, but they can wear sandals and not put on two tunics. I'm assuming they're allowed to wear one because that could have been awkward. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so they did. They went out two by two, hurrah, hurrah, that's as the song goes, and they, they, they preached the gospel and they healed people and they cast out demons and we're not quite sure on how much time had lapsed. But if you've still got your Bible open there, we find the story kind of stitches itself back in in verse 30 and says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. 
And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And that, my friends, is the justification for fishing on work time. Um, you know what I'm saying. It's, uh... So Jesus gathers his 12 disciples in a huddle. He says, all right, guys, I want you to partner up. Just pick someone else. I don't know whether he did the you and you and the you and you or just sort yourselves out. Just grab someone, partner up. My power is yours. My power is yours. You don't need to take anything for the road. Guys, don't even need to take money. Don't need to take bread. You don't need to take your bag. But I don't want you to be nude, so take one tunic, wear your sandals, and just take a, a walking stick with you. Leave all the other stuff behind, and wherever you go, tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Beautiful moment. I mean, this wasn't just a moment of evangelism where Jesus was training the 12 disciples in. It was a blueprint for their followership of him from this moment forward. Jesus was outlining that this is how a follower of Jesus, regardless of their destination or their journey, ought to travel. Now, this was written at a time and in a context that was very different to ours. And so the explicit instruction isn't what I believe Jesus is demanding us in 2022. So you can relax. You don't need to go out and buy a cotton tunic. You don't need a pair of Birkenstocks nor a walking stick. As is par for the course, there is something deeper here for Jesus than the stuff than the instruction itself. Jesus in this moment is chasing their hearts. There is intent behind the instruction that is worth opening our ears to and our hearts to that I believe can prepare and ready us for the unknown roads which lead ahead. There is intent behind the instruction. And so don't worry about your tunic, your sandals, and your walking sticks. What else is there in what Jesus is saying? Don't take this, but take these things. Take these with you. And so if Jesus isn't asking us to dress in early century attire, if, he is, if indeed he is okay with us being equipped with food and money and a handbag or a man bag, which I presume he is, then what might be the challenge and encouragement for us today in what to take on the journey this year? And so there are four points, if you're taking notes, um, that I want to speak to this morning that lay behind the explicit instructions of Jesus and I believe are keys to help us face up to whatever we may need to face up to this year. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert to all four of them right now, and then I'll come back and unpack them. So if you, if you are taking notes, say these. A commitment to travelling together. What are we going to take into this year? Travelling together. Uh, the second one, we're going to travel trusting. The third one, we're going to travel with purpose. And the fourth one, we are going to rest with him. 
So firstly, traveling together. Why does Jesus send the 12 out two by two? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, he does it again in Luke chapter 10 when he sends out the 72. And then we look even through the story of Acts and, you know, there is Paul and there is Barnabas. And we can look all the way through Scripture, beginning with Moses and Aaron and David and Jonathan. And all the way through, there is this two-by-two call that God has. Why is this the case that Jesus sends them two-by-two? One suggestion is that given the power of evil embedded in the world, they needed the support of each other in their confrontation of it which of course is totally relatable. Facing the challenges, the complexities, the tragedies and the hardship alone of life alone is incredibly overwhelming. A weight that one human heart is not designed to carry. I mean, the impacts of COVID are many, but perhaps none more devastating than the loneliness and the isolation that has been real for so many of us, if not all of us. I mean, I know that even I experienced it at times, as may you have as well, but I am grateful to God for the people in my life for whom it didn't matter what day of the week it may have been or what I may have been going through. I had people on the other end of the phone saying, ring me, Dave, how are you going? And I don't want to say that lightly because I believe that there is no other family-oriented, I don't even want to use the word organisation, um, uh, but body of collective of people as the church who carry the weight and responsibility for nurturing each other's souls and not just congratulating each other on their achievements. You know, sometimes I think, well, how is the church different to the soccer club? It's because soccer's always the central thing, but in church, Jesus is the central thing, and out of our love for him comes a love for others. And I've had a friend ask me once, um, you know, Dave, why do you even go to church? And I said, you know, do you even take the Jesus stuff aside? And, and which he said, please do. Uh, so hostile environment already. I said, I've got four, five, six um, men and women in my life who there would not be a week would go past without a phone call just to ring and see how I am going. Such is the beauty of being part of God's family, that the togetherness that we share is deep and it is rich. That when the world grows heavy and the shadows of our own brokenness begin to creep over us, there are people there to speak light and hope and future and vision into our hearts and our minds. I mean, not only is travelling together an invaluable resource of support and encouragement, but also their working together two by two was itself an example of what the kingdom of God was about. They were to establish community to draw people beyond their marginalisation and their alienation to enable sharing of vision and active cooperation in God's mission in the world. Their role was not just to preach the kingdom of God, but to exemplify it. The emphasis on their togetherness may have even been the reason why Mark calls them the Twelve, not just the Apostles. Perhaps it's a title that seemed to resonate better with the idea of this new community and their foundational role within it. And in this moment, Jesus was establishing a pattern for reassuring them, yes, 
but he also gave them an experience of forming friendships and little communities of purpose before extending the network of relationships which became the church. This was the petri dish of the church in the two by two being sent to proclaim the coming of God's kingdom. Never negate the two by two nature by which God calls us and sends us. I mean, it's a case of the medium being the message that in our togetherness we declare the beauty of God's reign and rule on earth. We are a living, breathing community and invitation for others into God's global family and his mission. We go together. So this year, can I encourage you, pack togetherness in the car. If you're not driving anywhere, pack togetherness in your backpack, in your handbag, whatever you carry within your heart, hear the metaphor, within your heart, pack togetherness. Find your people, encourage one another, but know that our building of community, both small and large, is a display and a conduit of God's kingdom in our world. Our togetherness is the means by which God is establishing his kingdom vision here on earth. So go together. This year, on the roads unknown, go together. Secondly, what are we going to pack in our bag, in our car? Not just squeeze it in, but prioritise it. We're going to travel with trust. I mean, I wonder how it felt for the disciples as they set off with literally nothing except the clothes on their back and the sandals on their feet and a walking stick in their hand and Jesus just said to them, go. Go into all of the homes, tell them to repent, heal the sick, cast out the demons. I wonder how you and I might feel in that moment of complete uncertainty. You know, they would have looked at each other in their pairs and gone, are you ready? Nah. Are you ready? Nah. <laughs> Let's go. Scary kind of moment. I remember skydiving for the very first time. Troy Dixon was with me. I think I was 19 and you were 43, something. something. <laughs> I remember being on a plane that looked like a milk bottle. If you've ever seen it, the old school Camden skydiving, Picton or wherever it was, skydiving um, situation out there. Um, I remember it making an absolute racket as we climbed out uh, to altitude to 15,000 feet above southwest Sydney and looking down at the earth um, with kind of the patchy clouds rushing by at it seemed like a million miles an hour. I remember uh, getting to that point and thinking, why am I about to jump out of a perfectly good aeroplane? Um, I could just sit on this thing and it will work its way back to the ground and nobody will ever know, um, except for Dick Owen. He would never have let me live it down. Um, anyways, we edge to the point of no return. Uh, there's line, you know, people jumping out in front of you and you see them disappear into the abyss, plummeting towards earth and it gets to your turn and you know, the back of the plane, there's a little siren going off and a red light spinning in the thing. It's like 
sensory overload uh, times a million. And standing there and you're, you're just looking at ground 15,000 feet away and the dive instructor, as was practiced on the ground, um, grabs my forehead and he pulls it back to his chest and he says, are you ready? And I wanted to say no and I think I probably had a testy pop in the moment. And I said, yeah. And he just says, I'm not and jumps out of the plane. And we tumble and plummet toward the earth at 200 kilometres an hour. I'm sure I was in need of a new pair of undies, but anyway. In that moment, I had nothing that I could bring to the success of the adventure. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the skill. I didn't even have my own parachute should things go pear-shaped. He had it. I didn't. There was nothing. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the minerals. I had nothing that could possibly guide my way to safety in this moment. Yet here I was plummeting to earth at 200 kilometers an hour with my trust entirely on the ability of this guy who told me he didn't know what he was doing to guide me safely back to planet earth. I mean, this moment for the 12 disciples was like that standing at the back of the aeroplane and Jesus saying, are you guys ready? Except he wouldn't have been, maybe he would have, maybe Jesus would have been cheeky enough to say, well, I'm not, off you go, perhaps, I'm not quite sure. But here they were, men who had jobs, who had livelihoods, who had families, who had commitments, who had responsibilities, and having said yes to Jesus, stood in front of him receiving these instructions to go with no money, no bread, no bag. I can only assume that they felt completely unprepared, as may you in this moment. They would have felt completely unqualified to go and be about this mission that Jesus is sending them on. Completely unresourced. What do you mean, Jesus? How am I going to buy some fish and chips on the road to feed myself lunch while we're going about this whole shindig that you're sending us on? Not only that, but then the layers of self-doubt that these guys would have even been feeling in the moment. The fear that may have been rising up in them, the confusion may be rising up in them, the uncertainty in them rising up in them, all would have added to the weight of this moment where they were standing on the precipice of the great unknown. So the promise of Scripture is that God will never leave your side. You know, we believe that these are the days of the Spirit, the one who was poured out on all flesh at Pentecost, charged with the mission to help you and I. He is our advocate. He is our friend. He is our healer. He is what the Scriptures say, the parakaleo, the one who is called alongside you and I, that when we stand on the edge and we jump, Regardless of what may come, come what may on this adventure. Holy Spirit has been poured out for us and in us and upon us and around us in our lives and upon the church that we may trust him fully with everything that we have. That we can, as silly as it sounds, but step out in faith with full confidence that whatever 
comes our way, that we can place our trust entirely on the one who gave himself to catch us. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail or forsake you. Do not fear or do not be dismayed. So the truth is that we can never prepare, get qualified, or resource ourselves to the point where we don't need Jesus anymore. Many people have tried and failed. And like a skydiver without a parachute, it does not end well. There is Blood and guts, broken bones and broken bodies all over the floor. We can never prepare, train, qualify or resource ourselves to the point where we no longer need Jesus in our lives, lest it end in a mess. So pack in your bag this year deep trust in a good and loving God who goes before you and is there to see you through. That's who he is. He is a good and loving God who is there to see you through. And so place your trust in him as you stand on the precipice this year of the unknown in this moment, stepping forward into the unsure. There is a good and loving God who is there, who is for you, who will never forsake, who will never leave you. And place a deep trust in him. Thirdly, we're going to travel with purpose. There are many a great cause for which to give your life, but none more exciting nor fulfilling than the cause of daily obedience to Jesus. See, at some point, the vision that Jesus had for these 12 disciples captivated their attention and their imagination to the point where living for anything else seemed redundant, futile, and wasted. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone. They would have stayed at their nets, Earning their money, they would have stayed at their tax booth where they had a job. There was something in Jesus' call for them to follow that captivated their imagination and their attention to the point of no return. They said yes to him when they left their nets, their boats, their jobs, their bosses, their communities. And this moment is yet again another yes in their journey. A yes to togetherness, a yes to trust, and a yes to purpose. See, what I love is that Jesus doesn't put them on a ferry and ship them away to a faraway land in their two-by-twos. But he sends them back to the people, the places, and the spaces from which they were called. This is the heart of the incarnation, that the redemptive purposes of God are found in Jesus coming to his own full of grace and truth. In this moment, Jesus is perpetuating the eternal mission of God for hope to be found in the quagmires of life to bring health, vitality, healing, and renewal. And in this case of the 12 being sent, as it is with you and I, we are by virtue of the Spirit within us and nothing of our own doing, the hope to be found in the quagmires of our lives and our world. That just as Jesus incarnate was found among his people, Jesus sends us back to our own to be advocates of healing, to be people who work toward renewal, 
to people who are seeing his kingdom come regardless of where we find ourselves in our nine to fives or our fives to nines or wherever the case may be. When we come to faith in Jesus, he takes us as his own. He renews us, he reshapes us, he redeems us and he repurposes us. Not only us, but what we do. It wasn't like the fishermen never fished again. We know they went fishing again, but they did it differently. So Jesus sent the disciples with their skills and their passions and all back into the towns, villages and the cities in which they were familiar with the purpose of bringing his kingdom and not their own. You are the solution to the broken system in which you are in. And that's kind of cool. You are the solution to the broken system that you're in. So I believe it's God's vision that the nurses would nurse and the teachers would teach and the builders would build and the artists would make art and would make music and create film, not for the sake of themselves but for the coming of his kingdom. A message full of repentance and healing and hope would be the essence of all that we do regardless of what we do. It is God's redemptive plan for our lives to take that which before we knew him was an unredeemed part of our lives and he'll take us and he'll reshape us and he'll renew us and he'll repurpose us, but he doesn't stop there. He goes, you know that thing you love to do? Perhaps that thing you give your life to, your job, nurse, teacher, artist, builder, accountant, whatever you may be, whatever you may do, and he redeems that part of your life for the sake of his kingdom. You are the solution to the broken system that you're in. So when you turn up to work and whinge about the boss, what are you going to do about it? In which way will you pray on Monday morning? Because there is renewal in your workplace that God has mandated by virtue that his spirit is within you and you are there. And he is bringing light to dark places. And friends, you are light. And I know some of you go to dark places. And Jesus says in his teaching on anxiety, uh, born of worry about clothes and money and food and all, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of those other things that you worry about will be added to you. So take purpose with you this year. Don't leave it on the bench or by the door. Make sure you grab the purpose of being a person full of full of grace and truth and live it out wherever this year may take you. And so the 12 went. And they went together. They went trusting. They walked the dusty roads. And they entered homes. Some of them they were received in and they saw God do miracles. Some of them they weren't and they shook the dust off their feet and carried along. They saw incredible healings and wonder, salvation, anointing people with oil and people set free. I mean, the buzz would have been absolutely electric for these 12 guys who, which Jesus has just imparted his power and authority to go and act in his name and they have seen it come alive.
I can see them returning to Jesus with smirks on their faces, suggestive of a pretty wild time. It's like when we come home from fishing, you know, caught a big fish, and you're just waiting for someone to ask, what'd you catch? And you kind of go, <laughs> they would have come back into town and seen Jesus, and they would have had the big smirk on their face. <laughs> Jesus said, how did it go? <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, Jesus, it worked. And these young guys would have been pumped on the adrenaline of seeing God's power manifest in such ways. It would have been like a kid at a theme park. They get off the roller coaster and they look at each other and go, again! In fact, that's Ronnie's favourite word at the moment. Again! Chuck him in the pool, whoosh, splash, off the rock. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do, he'll just look at you with beaming eyes. Again, again, again! You know, I can imagine these disciples coming back so hyped on the endorphins of seeing God's kingdom come in such incredible way that they would have said to Jesus, again, can we go again? Send us again. Just one more time. What I love about Jesus is that his reputation was never on the line to the point where he'd endanger his disciples with busyness. That the mission was never that important that he would endanger the people he sends with becoming too busy. I mean, the easy thing for Jesus and perhaps the most beneficial to his campaign, uh, maybe from a, a Western capitalist point of view anyway, would be work the boys while he could. You know, this is a success. It's all going great guns. Let's send them again and out they go and the fame of his name grows and, you know, more miraculous things and healings and people set free and demons gone running for the hills or into the ocean and, woo, let's keep going, let's ride this wave. Easily could have kept going. Could have doubled down on the success done the let's go big or let's go home moment. Guys, we're, we're going large with this. And he could have just turned and said, guys, have at it again. Go nuts, go crazy. Come back in a, in a week and let me know again how it's all fared out there. But he doesn't. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Such is the upside-downness of God's kingdom. When the world would double down on its efforts of success and busyness, Jesus doesn't allow busyness to overwhelm his followers and let it get to their head. And he says, just come away with me, guys, for a while and rest. So they jumped in a boat and together they headed off to be with Jesus. And in my notes here, I've underlined and italicized be with Jesus. That way for you. Be with Jesus. See, it's all good to be sent into the unknown this year with that sense of both 
dread, I guess, and yet also anticipation of what might come. And we can prepare ourselves to the ki- till the cows come home in deciding that we're going to be people who travel together. Woohoo! Yes, for community and church, and yes, for going trusting God with all we have, and yes, to going on purpose. But without learning and finding rhythms in our days and weeks to be with Jesus underlined, my fear it might be in vain. So lastly, pack into your bag a commitment to rest with him. Rest with him. I remember sitting under Dale uh, Stevenson, Pastor Dale Stevenson down in um, Melbourne a couple of years ago, and he said something that stuck with me ever since. We aren't created to rest from work. We are created to work from rest. Kind of flips things on its head a little bit. You know, Jesus at what could have been the height of impact and excitement didn't get carried away. He chose rest over results. And through his life, Jesus exemplified time spent in God's presence. He showed that the rhythm of the kingdom is not being busy for God, not time achieving for God. His time wasn't spent working to impress his dad, to prove his worth, or hustling for notoriety or acclaim, but in the ebb and flow of obedience to both activity and rest. And this is the invitation to you and I, is to be obedient to both the ebb and the flow of the tide in our lives of both activity and rest. Activity and rest. But we don't, we don't rest from our work, we work from our rest, from being with him. Now it's telling that one of the earliest lessons his disciples needed to learn was to stop to rest and to be with Jesus, to be renewed in the presence of Almighty God, to escape the noise, to still their hearts, to quiet their souls and to know their Lord. And if such a lesson was was valuable for humans not yet acclimatized and accustomed to the 24-hour, always connected, never turned off, always contactable, bombarded with news feeds and live streams and updates every single day, then how much more do we need to heed the call to rest with him? It would be in this place he would renew them, he would feed them, he would speak wisdom and truth into your souls, into their souls, and at times I wish that there would be a greater expounding of the scriptures where we would get an insight into the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples one-on-one as they were with him. But I believe that some things are left out for us to discover ourselves. God wouldn't want to rob you of the fresh bread he has for you by offering you the leftovers from somebody else's table. Each day he prepares a place for you and I. He pulls out a chair and he says, hey, sit for a while. And he, he places some freshly baked sourdough from 
the bakehouse of heaven and he places it on the table and he goes for the, the premium wine, the stuff on the top shelf, and he takes that and he pours it into a cup and he says, here is my finest, sit and be with me. Jeremiah prophesies in 31.25, and may it be for us as we go this year, for I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. Be with him. And as Jesus himself invites you, not just now, but into a rhythm of rest in this year, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Decide this year to pack rest with Jesus in your heart. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to take communion in these moments together where we have bread and we have juice. It's the top shelf juice, I promise. The, pre- the reserve stuff, vintage 2021 even. And we're going to take communion and we're going to, this is a sacred place of rest. You know, when we take communion, this is the moment where our soul can truly be at rest in recognition that there is nothing that you and I can bring to this moment to make us right with God, but only what he has done on our behalf. And the soul ought to know no other greater rest than that, that our eternity and our life now is secured in God's kingdom by not any virtue of our own doing, but entirely on his. And there is no greater rest that my heart can find than knowing that Jesus has done it all for me. And so the invitation is for you to enjoy that rest this morning as well as we take the bread and we take the cup, that these, though prepared by Baker's Delight and whoever at the juice factory, they don't know what is, they've prepared this for, but here's, a, here's an illustration in redemption right now, that these, these things, these emblems are redeemed for you and I, that we would come and know the Lord so closely and so intimately in these moments, that we could have rest for our souls. We could be with Jesus by taking the bread and taking the juice, being reminded completely and fully that He has done everything on our behalf and we can sit back and draw breath and allow our heart to beat so freely in this moment all because of what He has done. So I invite you, I'll grab um, two of our two Grab uh, yeah, Kano, come down. And Muzz, do you want to come down here? There's a glove here, so we'll do it COVID safe. Just want to chuck a, a glove and come down and um, we'll give you a piece of bread and a piece of cup. A piece of cup. You can have the whole cup. How about that? Uh, with the juice. And just come back to your seat. And for two or three minutes, we're just going to sit as the band just play quiet music. And we're just going to have a moment of rest. Uh, just to acknowledge that God is God and we are not and that as we step into the unknown this year that we can do so knowing that we have people around us to carry us through knowing that we can place our trust fully in him knowing that we have a purpose in him to see his kingdom come wherever we are but yet all of it is only born out of a place of rest so come forward grab a piece of bread and juice this is for everyone you're welcome come back to your seat and sit for a moment and uh, we'll finish up in a few minutes